Man, my heart is full just from singing and sharing together. I hope yours is as well. Well, again, I'm really thankful you have come, and uh, some of you have come, and you're pretty excited about today and and, uh, this week, and maybe there's some really positive stuff going on, and you're looking forward to it, and some of you are a little hesitant and skeptical about what this week's going to look like, and some of you have had perhaps a long stretch of ah, just just slogging through, and uh, so I think perhaps, uh, though I hope... This will be beneficial for all of us. It will be perhaps today particularly beneficial to those of you who are a little weary uh, in the journey right now. And uh, I sometimes feel like that covers a lot more of us than uh, we maybe want to admit when we show up all, you know, hair brushed and everything looking nice on Sunday morning. But uh, I remember... uh, watching the Rocky movies uh, and they're like what, 30 years old now? I forget when they came out. It's a long, long time ago. But I remember Mickey, this trainer, right, in one of the movies when um, Rocky was just getting the snot beat out of him. It was awful. And uh, so it must have been when it was against Club or Lang or whatever. And uh, he, he looked at him as he got in the corner just looking like he's, you know, of course he always looks like he's half dead, but um, he's just ready to, to just give up. And Mickey looked at him and said, if you don't start throwing some punches, I'm going to throw in the towel. And he started throwing punches. You know, of course, everything turns out great for Rocky. But um, that phrase, throw in the towel, actually came from boxing. I know you're not surprised by that because boxers, not surprisingly, can get hit so many times that they're no longer thinking clearly. And uh, So somebody needs to be able to stand in the corner with the towel when the boxer no longer either has the will or the least the ability to think clearly enough to say, okay, I'm beat. And somebody has to throw in the towel and say, okay, this fight's over. That's a little bit what some people feel like when they get through a long stretch of just arduous journey of life. Jacob, if you will recall from our studies thus far, has been kind of there. He has now been, when we show up in chapter 22 of Genesis, he has been 20 years since the last time he had that interaction with God. Remember he, the Jacob's ladder thing, and he's sleeping on a pillow, he's got nothing, and he has this dream, this vision of angels of God descending and descending up and down on this ladder, and and uh, God promises to be with him, and he makes kind of this tentative thing with God and says, if you will be with me and you will bring me back to the land of my fathers, then indeed you will be my God, and I'm, I'm in. I'm all in at that point. Well, that was 20 years ago, and he has spent now the last 20 years in all sorts of scheming and carrying on, and we've talked a lot about that, right? And we've talked a lot about this whole a crazy dysfunctional situation he's in. He's got two wives and two handmaids, uh, one for each of the wives, and he's got now 12 children by the four of those women, and he's got a father-in-law who's just been a mess, and they are finally leaving to go back now to the land of Canaan where they'd come from. That's where we pick it up here in chapter 32. They've just finished this 
interaction that we talked about last week with Laban and Jacob and their argument, and you ran off with my kids. Well, you treated me badly for the last 10 years. Yeah, well, you did this, and you did, you know, like a couple of junior high boys, and they finally make kind of a simplistic agreement. Okay, here's a pile of rocks. You're not coming past it, and I'm not coming past it, and that's as good as we can get. So here they go. Now it's time. Now it's time for Jacob to have left that whole situation, and he's on his way back. Verse 1 of chapter 32 says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. This is about awareness. So that's, this is the first thing. And I've got kind of two points today. So it hopefully won't be hard to remember, right, when we leave. Awareness. I want to remind you, as Jacob is learning, that you are not alone. If you are God's in Christ, you are not alone Ever. Jacob was reminded on at least these two occasions, and of course this is back in the day when God would actually come and audibly speak to people. In fact, God had come and told him, it's time for you to leave and get back to Canaan, so let's get going. And in this situation, as he's leaving Canaan, getting ready to go back to the land of his forefathers and to get his family and all that in place, now, 20 years later, as he is leaving that situation and ready to go back to the land of Canaan, God meets with him again, both going and coming. God meets with him directly, sends angels to him to, to remind him, listen, I'm here, I'm with you. Don't think that where you're going. So when he leaves to go get his family, God says, I am going with you as you go. When he's ready to come back and will now very shortly take over the leadership of his family and his tribe, God is saying to him again, I am with you. I am reassuring you of my presence and my protection and my provision for you. He named the place Mahanaim. Two camps is what that means. It was a camp where he knew he had all of his people but he realized also, you know what? God's camp is here with me too. And I can't help but read this story and think of the account in 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're not going to go there. Let me just kind of summarize it for you. Um, the king of Syria is making raids in this chapter about, uh, against Israel. And every time he goes to make a raid... God lets Elisha know where the raid's going to happen. So Elisha says to the king of Israel, don't go over to such and such a place because the king of Syria is there waiting for you. And that happens a few times. And of course, the king of Syria gets a little frustrated and calls all his people and said, okay, who's the rat? Who is given up where we're going to be? I don't understand. And somehow or another, somebody in that group knew that it was Elisha. And that Elisha, every time they went to go against Israel, was telling them where they were going to be. And the king of Syria says, well, we're going to fix that. And so he sends an army to where Elisha is. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, that army shows up. And Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning, looks out the window, and sees an army. And he is like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this is not good. 
And he wakes Elisha up and says, oh, we're in trouble. This army's here. We're really going to be in bad shape. And Elisha basically says, dude, you, you got to chill. It's all good. And then he prays and says, God, would you let him see the other army? And so God opens the eyes of the servant and covering the hillside is another army of angels. And it's like the servant is like, oh, okay. I want you to remember that's not just heroes of the Bible. God has promised his presence with you. There is a present truth involved in this thing. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, deliverance sounds like, oh, good, there won't be any more trouble. We know that's not true, right? I mean, we're all, we're all in sync on that. It doesn't mean there will never, tr- never be trouble. It means I'm never alone, even in the midst of trouble. I'm never by myself. I'm never on my own in the middle of this situation, even if... I don't have other human beings around. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. There's something really encouraging about that. Because sometimes the worst part of our situation is the aloneness we feel. Is the sense of nobody gets what I'm going through. Nobody's in this with me. Again, not to be always on this bandwagon, but at the same time, I'm okay with it. Uh, That's one of the reasons I always talk so much about small group ministry, getting connected to other people, having them in your life so that when you're in a wilderness situation like this, you can at least have your small group saying, hey, how's it going? I'm praying for you. You know, we're concerned about this with you. We're I mean, I've got a couple of different groups of people that we routinely pray for each other. And every, every once in a while, when we get to check in, it's like, hey, how's this situation going? So that we don't have that sense of being alone. But even if you feel like there's no other human being around, I want to reassure you today that God is with you. It's, it's a matter of awareness. I've quoted before one of the church fathers who's name I can't really pronounce, so I won't try, um, who said the secret to successful service is living in the conscious presence of the living God, not living in his presence. If I'm a child of God by faith in Christ, I'm always in the presence of God. But being conscious of that, being aware of that is really, really important. And I think it was really important for Jacob as he goes back, because now he's going back to face Esau. What had Esau said 20 years ago? The last thing he heard out of Esau was what? I'm going to kill him. He, last he knew, Esau was going to kill him, and he's had 20 years to let that fester. That, that also can't be a really good thing. So God reassures him of his presence. And so he sends these messengers to Esau, and we're we're coming and we have gifts for you. And eventually when they go to meet, he sends these waves of gifts and people. And uh, he is really concerned. And so at this point, he sends everybody kind of across uh, the river. And then he stops to pray. And that's where I want to kind of settle in today is on these next few verses from verse 9 down through verse 12. And I want to talk about Jacob's prayer 
And I want to talk a little bit about how important it is to us today to think through his prayer and the components of his prayer that I think situated him well to move ahead with his next step for God. So let me read it all for you, verse 9 through 12. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. His prayer has at least six things that kind of stand out to me, so I'm going to go through them one at a time. The first is the concept of covenant. God had made a promise to Jacob, and he remembers God's past history. I think it's really significant. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, he knows that what is going on in his life is not just about what's going on in his life. He's looking back to the faithfulness of God generationally. You made a promise to my grandfather. You transferred that promise to my father. I'm now going to have the responsibility to carry the weight and responsibility of this promise. But it's a covenant you made, O God. When we think back about the ways that God has proved his faithfulness to his covenant, to his promise, to his working in our lives, there's some encouragement in that when we're in the times when it seems lean. Maybe this week with your small group, maybe a question that would be worth asking is, what are some of the ways that your history has proved God's faithfulness to his promise in your life? What are some of the things that have happened in your life that you think, man, I know, I know this was God setting things right and getting, protecting me, whatever it may be. It would be a worthwhile conversation. And even if not in your small group, it's worth some time to think about that this afternoon. Take a little time and remember, listen, God, I, I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ. Therefore, I belong to God and I'm part of his story. What are the things in my history that demonstrate that he has been in the process of using me and working through me? In my case, it does go back to my father and even to my grandfather as I think back generationally to people who have, have served God uh, and, and uh, God has used them. For you, maybe it doesn't go back very many generations, but I know you could go back and think through. Listen, God's, God's made a promise, has begun a good work in me and has promised to continue it and complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. What are the things that I've seen in my history that have been evidence of that. Second part of verse 9, he says, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He's, he's appealing to the fact that he has obeyed what God told him to do. Now, listen, we're all well aware that he didn't obey in everything that he should have done, right? I mean, this was not 
Every detail of my life has been really great, Lord, and look how I haven't really faltered at all from your path. I mean, he's really faltered in a big way. He's cut his own path way too many times. But in general terms, he left to go find this family that God would give to him. And now God said, I want you to return. And he said, so I'm returning. And I don't know what's in store. I didn't know what was in store when I left 20 years ago. Now I don't know what's in store when I come back. But I'm doing my best to obey Verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you've shown to your servant. I'll tell you what, if we would get this one tucked away in our minds, that we are unworthy, I know that's so uh, countercultural. Because everything around us wants to scream, oh no, you're worth this. And you're, I mean, I mean, you're you deserve pretty hair because you're worth it. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the people that were most effectively used of God? I think of people like the Apostle Paul. When he thought about himself, he looked at the list of sinners and said, Yep, that's the list I'm at the top of. I'm the chief of sinners. Jacob acknowledges he's not worthy to receive God's favor. God was not kind to you. God did not call you to faith in Christ. God did not work in your life and bring you to himself because you were really a good catch. God did that because he's gracious. He says that about the children of Israel in terms of the the national people of God, the children of Israel in the Old Testament. God said to them, I didn't call you because you were the biggest. I didn't call you because you were the most impressive. I called you because of my grace. I just wanted to be kind to you. It was my favor on you. It is so important for us to remember. Some people will give you the impression that when you... When you trust in Christ, all of a sudden you're made worthy of God's love. No, you're not. You are in the one. You are placed in the one who is worthy when you're placed in Christ. It's not about your worthiness. It's about God's grace. And I, I, I fear that some people are like, well, if I'm not worthy, I'll just have to go around and just feel awful, you know. Uh, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, guess I'll go eat worms and all that. Um, it, It doesn't require that we be sullen and somber and just feel horrible about ourselves all the time. We just feel so... Uh, so grateful, filled with gratitude because God has put us in Christ. So it's not about my worthiness, it's about Christ's worthiness and the fact that I'm in Him. And it was valuable for him to remember, Lord, you've been so incredibly faithful to me. Your, your love for me has been steadfast, even though I have just botched up so many things. You've been steadfast, and I'm not worthy of that. And I think, having gotten his perspective straight, now he can get a handle on the blessing of God in his life. The second part of verse 10 I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you've shown to your servant for with only my staff, 
I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Remember, he, he stood, we, we talked about it before, he stood one day with the opportunity to inherit everything from his father, and the next day he had his staff, and he didn't even have a pillow. He had a stone to lay his head on. And he left with nothing, and he left with uh, two wives and four children, or a dozen children, and flocks and herds that outnumbered those of his father-in-law, incredible wealth, and he recognized all of that as the blessing of God. But I want you to remember that the blessing of God is not only fiscal, it's not only financial. God, the symbols of God's blessing are not only in all the stuff you have or all the money you have in the bank or all the investments that you have. That, there are people who are not being blessed of God that have that stuff, right? There are people who aren't following God. They don't, they're not, they don't care a, a little bit about God, and yet they have lots of money. So it isn't, it isn't just financial. He's just recognizing that these things that you have given to me they're just blessings from your hand. The family God has given to you, the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ, the, the blessing of, of relationships that you do enjoy. Sure, sometimes it's the financial blessing. Sometimes it's the blessing of the lean times that caused you to trust in God more. All of the blessings that God has given to you are worth reviewing. Verse 11, he's honest. I like honesty when we're praying and talking to God. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Uh, Lord, I'm scared. I don't, I don't like what I'm, what I'm facing as a prospect. This, this could be bad. When I left, Esau wanted to kill me, and now it's been 20 years, and he's never gotten a chance for us to get that fixed. This could be really bad. I could have a lot today and be dead by next week. Lord, I'm scared about the future. You understand God already knows that, right? God knows when you're, when you're uptight and you're stressed and you're scared, so it's really worthwhile for you to be honest about it. And then lastly, he talks to, about God's faithfulness. I'm fearful, Lord, but you said, verse 12, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's appealing to the faithfulness of God to his promise. He has remembered that as he's thought about God's covenant blessing to Abraham, his grandfather, and then Isaac, his father, and now he's saying, Lord, I'm, I'm just trusting in your faithfulness to take me through. I think there's a lot of real value in thinking through his prayer. He stayed there that night, and now he's getting ready, and he's eventually going to have this, this wrestle with God when God changes his name to Israel because you've striven with God. And, uh, but I think this prayer is so important, and I want to... I want to now go and hit a couple of spots in the New Testament with you and talk about some of this gospel truth that's connected to what I'm, what I'm saying back here from Genesis chapter 32. The first is in Galatians 3. Know then, verse 7 of Galatians 3, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
and Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So I want you to, when you think about the blessing of God, I want you to think in terms of God's promise to you in Christ. We receive the blessings that God promised. God promised Abraham that he would not only be blessed, but that he would be a blessing to all the nations. We are part of all the nations. Everybody who trusts in Christ, who places their faith in him, is a recipient of these promises to Abraham in the broader spiritual sense. Secondly, I want you to remember about your unworthiness to receive God's favor. This is, this is how the gospel comes. And if you've never trusted Christ, I want you to, I want you to think this through a little bit because there's, there's some real value to recognizing that a person's never going to come to God to make their relationship right with him as long as they think that they'll just work it out on their own later. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 reads this way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I've joked with a variety of people about Jacob and his family and how completely messed up this whole situation was. His parents and, and the way they raised their boys and the, the way he got his wives and then when he slept with their maidservants and started having kids. And I mean, there's so much about this whole story that is so completely whacked out it's hard to understand how does God make something of that? The reality is, my story is the same. I have disobeyed God. I, I dishonored God. There have been things in my life uh, that, that uh, were not pleasing in the sight of God. The the beginning of which was I stood in my sin as a human being. I was born a sinner. I was five years old when I trusted Christ as my Savior. But I came to life spiritually as a five-year-old just as surely as anybody else ever did. It wasn't about how many bad things I would, had done. It was the fact that I was a sinner and I needed to have my life changed and transformed. I needed to have my heart regenerated and made right with God. And it's not what I can do. I wasn't worthy of it. We talk about innocent children. But usually we talk about that before we have children, right? Because <laughs> we know that they're not all that innocent. Some of them are relatively more innocent than others. And some of them that seem relatively innocent are just a little better at getting away with it. Right? You know that. We're all parents, right? If you're, if you're not a parent yet or almost going to be, sorry to spoil it. But <laughs> nobody's innocent. We're all sinners. And the worst part of it all 
is there isn't anything I can do about that. So when I look at the righteous standard of God, complete, absolute, and perfect holiness, I'm hopeless. I have no possibility of ever living up to God's standard. But because of his mercy that he poured out on me richly through Jesus Christ, I get to become an heir of eternal life in heaven with God. That's not... That's not because I'm worthy. That's because God is merciful and gracious. The blessing of God that you have in Christ. I'm not going to take time to go to Hebrews chapter 10, but uh, you can go there and read uh, some about that. It's just that God would put us in Christ and make us therefore recipients of his grace and make us right in our relationship with him and and have us inherit heaven and all of the wonder that is so much broader than the promise that Abraham understood. And then I want you to think a little bit about the faithfulness of God and I I just want you to listen. I'm going to read a bunch of verses for you here and I'm going to start back. You can maybe jot them down if you want, but just listen along. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 36 verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 89, verse 8, O Lord of God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Psalm 119, verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, the faithfulness of God is exalted. So let me give you the two wrap-ups. I said I had just two things I really want you to take home today. One is this, God is always with us. If you've trusted Christ, if your, your faith is in him and him alone is your only hope of salvation, if your relationship has been made right with God, you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, if you are one of God's children through faith in Christ, God is always with you. The New Testament describes how the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you if you're a child of God by faith in Christ. Hebrews 13, I think we looked at a a week or so ago, where God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It doesn't happen. For God to do that, he would go against his character and quit being God. 
God is always with you. Jacob was still learning this through this surprising intervention of angels who showed up. You don't have to see angels to know that God is with you. He has told you in his word, and he is faithful to his promise. God is always with us. And secondly, you are where you are because God is faithful. In some cases, you know you're alive today because God is faithful. You're still here because God is faithful. For some of you, you've been in experiences where, man, I know I should have died, not because I was necessarily doing something stupid, but just because of the danger I was in, and yet I'm here because God has been faithful. You're in the situation you're in, If it's the result of sin in your life and God is bringing discipline, you're where you are because God's faithful, because he's promised. Listen, I love you so much. I'm not going to let you just do whatever you want. I will bring discipline into your life. You are where you are because God is faithful. You can trust a God who never wavers on his faithfulness, right? I hope you remember those two things today. God is with you, and you are where you are because God is faithful. Boy, those are important truths. I've talked a little about the gospel earlier, and I just uh, I feel like I want to make sure that you have opportunity, if you're here and have never trusted Christ, that you understand how important that is. Scripture teaches us that all men are sinners. I, I talked about that before. I was five years old. I mean, how, I mean I, I've had four or five-year-olds in my home, so I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but how bad can a five-year-old get? I know they can be rascally, but um, you know, I wasn't into drugs and alcohol and running around with women. And, and you know, I mean, I was five, for crying out loud. But the reality is, I was dead in my sin, even as a five-year-old child. And I had to recognize I was separated from God because I was a sinner. And so I did, and I trusted in Jesus. I remember the event to this day. I remember the circumstances surrounding it. And now, since I was five, has been this this constant up-and-down journey of faith. And I, I, I make it seem like it's been constantly, you know, getting higher and higher. Some days I've wondered if I hadn't really just slipped a cog somewhere. And I know some of you are that way too, but if you're here and you've never come to the point where you ha- your life has been transformed by the grace of God, you've never trusted in the gospel of Jesus, here it is. All people are sinners. You're not alone in that, but you also don't escape that charge. Everybody is a sinner and separated from God. Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross and pay the penalty for sin. If you will trust in Christ as your only hope of salvation, believing that Jesus came, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, that he was buried and he actually came back to life again, if you will believe that and accept that work as done in your place, God will save you. He's promised that he will do that. And if that's never happened to you, boy, I sure wish you'd hang around a little bit after church this morning and give one of us the chance to talk to you. I've got folks I'll send you off with in in a side room or just sitting down up here, and we'll, we'll talk and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. And 
other than that, I hope you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, will be encouraged this morning. God is with you. However lonely you may feel, however alone it may be in your circumstances, God is with you, and he is faithful. He has not stopped being faithful, even if right at the moment it feels a little bit like, that's a, that's a head-scratcher. I'm not sure how this is faithfulness, but you look at the record of Scripture, the history of Scripture, that's why it's good to look through your life and go back and remember, man, it could have done this and it could have been this way, but here's where God has brought me. So as we sing our closing song, worship team's going to come on up and get ready, and we're going to sing a song as we leave. Uh, I want you to remember the faithfulness of God and the grace of God in your life. It's such an incredible thing to... to uh, to just mull over this business. And Jacob had to learn it, and everybody's got to learn it. We've got to be able to take our time to figure out, am I going to trust that God is being faithful to me right now or not? So if it's long and it's been a long time and you may be ready to throw in the towel, I encourage you not to do that. Let us talk with you. Let us pray with you. We've got a prayer team that will sit down and uh, seek to encourage your heart. But God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. We are so grateful that we're not in this alone, that we're not, uh, we're, we're dependent on you, and we confess our dependence on you this morning. And I pray, Father, that even as we sing and as we leave this place, we will rejoice in your faithfulness and the fact that when we leave, we leave with you uh, going with us. So I pray for the one or more who might be here that doesn't know Christ, has never trusted in Christ as their only hope of salvation. Lord, it's not hard to settle, and I pray that they would settle it before they leave. Thank you for what you've done here today in Jesus' name.